Thank you, Dave and Mitch, for sharing about some of your experiences at the table. As we know, and as we've been studying throughout Lent, Jesus himself has many significant experiences at the table. And this morning, I wanna invite you to go ahead and join with me as we share together from Luke chapter nine, verses 10 through 17. And I invite you to hear these words of scripture as they are shared with us today. When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. Then he took them with him and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. But the crowds learned about it and followed him. He welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. Late in the afternoon, the 12 came to him and said, send the crowd away so they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging because we are in a remote place here. He replied, you give them something to eat. They answered, we have only five loaves of bread and two fish, unless we go and buy food for all this crowd. About 5,000 men were there. But he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. The disciples did so, and everyone sat down. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves with them. Then he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. This is God's word for us, God's people. Would you share with me in a word of prayer today? Almighty God, this day may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, shaking us to new life in you. O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. We are now right in the middle of a sermon series called At the Table. And we are again using this Lenten series time to explore numerous times in scripture where Jesus is meeting with different people at the table in various meals and occasions. We're doing this for a variety of reasons as we travel throughout Lent. We're doing it as a way to connect with Christ, connect with each other, and to connect with others because the table, the meal, allows us to do that. We also find at the table that we are given strength for the journey. And right now we are journeying through Lent together. As you know, meals are a big deal. Nearly everything in our life is marked by a meal in subcapacity. So birthdays, graduations, anniversaries, retirements, memorial services, new starts, weddings, all of these are marked so often by meals. And similarly, meals played a big deal in the life of Jesus as well. We find Jesus eating with religious officials and complete outcasts and everybody in between. Now, with the exception of the Last Supper that Jesus had with his disciples, there may be no bigger meal in all of Scripture than the one that we hear about today in Luke chapter 9. Literally, this will be one of the biggest meals Jesus ever shares in. Oftentimes, even people not connected in the life of a church know something about that story, about the five loaves and the two fish and what Jesus did with that. In this meal, there are over 5,000 
thousand men, which means there were probably 10 to 15,000 total when you include women and children. And somehow with just five loaves and two fish, Jesus and the disciples feed them all. This is the only miracle story to occur in all four gospels other than the resurrection itself. Now think about that for just a moment. This story is that important, which raises the obvious question of why? <laughs> why would it be included in all four gospels? What was so important about this story for the early church? And what is so important about this story and its meaning for us today? That's what we're gonna to unpack together. So even if you think that you know this story, I want to invite you today to settle in and to hear again this story with fresh ears. And to best understand what's happening, we need to lay out the context of what's happening at this time. So here we're going to set the scene. Again, we are in Luke chapter 9. The life and the ministry of Jesus at this point in the Gospel of Luke is well underway. And Luke chapter 9 has a whole lot of significant things happening in it besides just this description of this miracle. It's in this chapter that Jesus starts to send out his disciples two by two for teaching and to perform miracles on their own. It is in this chapter that Jesus is transfigured and has that time where he's literally glowing in the presence of a few of his disciples in this powerful scene on the mountain. It is in this chapter that some of the disciples argue over who's the greatest. It is in this chapter that Jesus is first called the Messiah by Peter. There's a lot going on in this chapter. And right in the middle of it is this feeding of the 5,000 with the five loaves and the two fish. Now, as powerful as this story is, we're going to start to look together and understand that even though it's a great moment overall in the life of Jesus and with the miracle, it is not the disciples' finest hour. Remember what I just said to you. The disciples earlier on had been set out two by two to be preaching and teaching and doing miracles on their own. And no doubt they would have been excited at the miracles that they were seeing and the ways that people were responding. But after doing that all day at this point, they are tired. They've been working hard. They have been on the go. And on top of this, John the Baptist, they would have received news that he had been beheaded. That would have been hard and sad for the disciples to hear. So picture them now. They're tired from all the work they've been doing in their healing and in their teaching. And now on top of that, there's a heavy sense of grief because John the Baptist is no longer with them. He's been killed. And frankly, I think at this point, the disciples, they just want to be left alone. Their tank is pretty empty. And we know that they feel this way because look with me in Luke chapter 9. Listen to what we hear in verses 11 and 12. He, that is Jesus, welcomed the crowds and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. And then listen to this response in verse 12 from the disciples. Late in the afternoon, the twelve came to him and said to Jesus, send the crowd away so they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging because we are in a remote place here. The disciples are tired and they're hoping probably that Jesus will just send the crowds away. And yet Jesus here has the nerve to welcome them to teach them about the kingdom of God, to offer healing to them. 
And I imagine there was a point at which the disciples looked and like, all right, Jesus, if you want to do this during most of today, go ahead, fine. It's not what we would decide to do, but go ahead. But now it's the end of the day. And I imagine the disciples, after waiting all day, wishing that Jesus had sent those crowds away, I imagine they have had it. Not only is there grief, not only are they tired, but I think there's some hangry going on here. <laughs> there's been nothing to eat all day, and now in their exhaustion, anger is starting to rise. And don't we all feel this way when our tank starts to get pretty empty? And so what do they say? Lord, please, Jesus, send them away. It's time to call it a day. There is nothing to eat in this God-forsaken place. Send them on their way. And here then is where the story takes a rather dramatic turn. Jesus does not say to them, you know what? You're right. It's been a long day. You're tired. I'm tired. All right, everybody. Goodbye. That's not what he says. What does Jesus say? Luke chapter 9, verse 13. Jesus replied, you give them something to eat. Let me repeat that. You, the disciples, give them something to eat. Now, the disciples gave a response to this when Jesus said that to them. What's recorded in scripture is that they answered, but we only have five loaves of bread and two fish unless we go and buy food for all of this crowd. That's what scripture records. I think more accurately what would have been in the minds of the disciples at this point would have been something like, what the what, Jesus? <laughs> Excuse me? Uh, you mean we're not done yet at the end of this long day when we're tired and hungry and exhausted? There's a whole lot of people here and all we have are five loaves and two fish and you want us to use this to feed these people? It sounds crazy. Five loaves two fish for 5,000 people, really more like 10 to 15,000 people. Just to put this in perspective, Cameron Indoor Stadium, where the Duke Blue Devils play basketball, holds a capacity of 9,314 people. All of those people are to be fed with five loaves and two fish. It sounds absolutely crazy. So why in the world would Jesus look at them and tell them to give the crowds something to eat? Has Jesus made a mistake at this point? Has the sun maybe gotten to him a little heat exhaustion? Is it due to extreme hunger that he's maybe hallucinating in some way? What's going on? And the answer is, this is not a mistake on the part of Jesus. Jesus is a rabbi. And remember, rabbis always have a sense of purpose in what they are doing. And this time is no exception because a rabbi always wanted to teach his disciples and to offer them lessons. So what is the teaching that Jesus is doing here? What is Jesus showing the disciples? What lesson or lessons does he want them to learn? I think there are a number of lessons that Jesus is seeking to offer here. First of all, Jesus is showing his disciples it's important to have compassion on those who need it, no matter how tired we might be. Jesus himself would have been tired. Jesus himself would have been grieving that John the Baptist was no longer there. But he does not use that as an excuse to help hungry, hurting people. You and I could all use the excuse that we ourselves are, we ourselves are hurting or tired. 
most days I find myself tired and at the end of my rope. And I know a lot of us feel that, especially in this COVID season. But if we operate with the understanding that we're only gonna help people when we're not tired or when we're not at the end of our own rope, Rarely, if ever, will a good or natural time come to stop and help others when it suits us. If we only ever wait to show compassion in convenient times, we will miss helping a lot of hurting people along the way. And Jesus is showing his disciples that reality here today. Even though Jesus is tired and grieving himself, he still hurts for these people and he's not gonna abandon them. He's not going to leave them. I think that's a lesson he wanted to show his disciples here today. But also if we look here, there's a lesson going on for the disciples themselves. And we hear it in Luke chapter nine, verses 14 to 17. But he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. The disciples did so and everyone sat down, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. Then he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. Here's the second lesson Jesus wants his disciples to get here today. And the lesson is this, you give them something to eat. It's not just going to be Jesus from on high. He with his disciples is going to work with them and specifically empower his disciples so that they can give the crowds something to eat. And that's the point that it's the disciples, not even Jesus himself giving, supplying to the crowds. Now the disciples to their credit, they realize they're not gonna be able to do this on their own. So what does Jesus do? He says, give me what you have and the disciples do, and what they're able to find are five loaves and two fish, and that's it. And then Jesus takes what they give to him. He blesses it, he breaks it, and says, go and share it. And somehow, that's enough. To the point that 12 basketfuls of food are left over. Hear that today, church. When we give to Jesus, what we have, no matter how big or how small, it's always enough. When we give what we have to Christ, it's always enough. I repeat, God used the disciples with what they had, and it was enough, actually more than enough. So you've got this lesson of compassion going on, You've got this lesson of partnership with God that when we give to God, when we give to Christ that which we have, no matter how much or how little, it's always enough in the kingdom of God. And then there's another interesting thing going on here. Did you notice all the numbers in the story? Authors Marty Solomon, Brent Billings, and Christopher Gambino remind us that in this time and culture, numbers mean things. As Americans, we read this story with a Western lens and a Western mindset. But remember, this was written with an Eastern mindset, with a Hebrew mindset. And in the Hebrew mindset, numbers are incredibly significant to the overall God's story that's going on. Numbers mean things in the Hebrew culture. Now there's a whole lot of numbers we could review, but let me give you just a couple here today. For example, the number two 
is often symbolic of the tablets given to Moses. Remember, two tablets were given to Moses on Mount Sinai, representing the entire law of God. All of the law was written on those two tablets of stone. The number five often refers to the five books of Moses, or the law it was the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. The number seven was often used to talk about completion and perfection. You will remember that all of creation was made in seven days. The number 10 is significant because it's combining the number three with the number seven. And the number three is significant because three often means community. So if you think of God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit community, or if you think of the Israelite people, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the number three represents community in totality. And when you mix three plus seven, you get 10. So you get perfection in three, plus seven is a reference, or three is a reference to community, and seven is a reference to perfection. When you mix those together, you get a complete unity. You could almost say community in perfection. The number 12, you might remember from the Old Testament, often refers to the 12 tribes of Israel, that is God's people. And then a number like 1,000, what that means is essentially growing degrees of perfection because you take the number 10, which represented that idea of perfect community, and now you just have layer upon layer upon layer, multiplication upon multiplication of this growing perfect community. So you've got to keep all of that in mind as we think about these numbers and now go back through the story here this morning that we hear in scripture. We hear again of five loaves and two fish. Well, again, the number five oftentimes represents the original law of Moses, those first five books of the Bible. And the number two represents God's law on the two stone tablets given to Moses. So when Jesus takes the five books of Moses, and the two tablets of law, he's taking the complete law and giving it to his disciples to share with the people of God. When we hear a number then that 5,000 people were served, hear how many multiples of 10 we have, 10 times 500 times. In other words, perfection multiplied hundreds of times over. And how many baskets were left over? 12. 12 represents, again, the 12 tribes of Israel, or it's another way of saying God's people. So when we put all of this together, what we see Jesus doing here is he's taking the complete law, the five laws as, as representing the five, uh, the five uh, laws of Moses with Moses, or representing that, and the two fish representing God's law given to Moses, and he's mixing all of that together and he's offering it to the disciples and saying, share this complete and perfect law with my people, with God's community. And they do that. And when they offer it, there's always going to be more than enough left over for all God's people. Do you hear what Jesus is saying here? He's saying, when you let me interpret the law and you trust me to share this perfect law with you, there's always more than enough to go around for all of God's people, for those who are there and well beyond. Do you start to hear all the nuances of meaning that's going on in this story and in this counter? Yes, there's the sheer magnitude of the, of the miracle itself. But notice how the story also communicates with us the nature of God in a whole variety of ways, and even a summary of God with God's people. This is a powerful story. But there's one other thing I want us to understand and notice that we might easily miss in this story. 
If all you focus on in this story is the miracle of the food multiplication, you are focusing on what I would say is the lesser miracle of the story. Don't get me wrong, it's absolutely miraculous to take five loaves, two fish, and feed thousands upon thousands of people. That's a big deal. I just don't think it's as big a deal as another part of the story. I think the most significant miracle in this encounter at the table with Jesus is not the bread magically multiplying. The miracle is that God uses normal, ordinary, everyday disciples in the miracle making. The true miracle is that God uses normal, everyday people to share God's complete love with all who need it. At God's table, God shares miraculously with us so that we might share miraculously then with the world. And when we do this, there's always more than enough. If we join with God in sharing as a whole people, God offers enough. Now, honestly, this is something that we tend to struggle with a lot because we tend to be a people who want to hoard and hold on to what we think is our stuff. But at the table, at this table, as we see today, you and I are invited into the miracle making with God. And we will see enough, not just for ourselves, but for others as well. I find that absolutely incredible. It's one of my favorite things about God and the church. We don't just sit idly by on the sidelines. God invites us into the game. God invites us to experience the vitality and the newness and the life and the miracles. So today, church, I invite you, I invite us to share in the miracle that God is offering and that God wants to invite us into with God as well. When we participate with God, when we come to the table with God, and we offer whatever it is we have in God's kingdom, that will always be enough for us and for others. I wanna invite us into this miracle as church to live in a way that intentionally reflects that at God's table, there's always enough. And there's a whole variety of ways that we can do this. Uh, maybe this week or in the weeks to come, leave an unexpected tip or maybe more than you otherwise would when you're in contact with a waiter or waitress. Not only will you bless them, you'll discover in a small way, you still have enough to live on. You, you still have enough to operate on. Uh, maybe you can pay forward somebody else's meal or drink somewhere. And when we do that, we want it to be a blessing to others, but it will remind us we still have enough ourselves. I invite us very, very practically to, if we're not, move towards tithing and beyond. It's one of the best ways to experience God in the nitty-gritty of our lives. Lots of times when we think about miracles, we think about miracles in terms of miraculous healings, and that absolutely occurs. But in my life, probably where I've heard about the most miracles happening with God was when people, even when they fully didn't understand how it was going to work, decided to give in faith, to give in that tithe and beyond, and to trust that somehow God would provide a way. And God always does. It is not a prosperity gospel thing. It is a God provides enough thing. If you really wanna partner, if we really wanna partner with God in the nitty gritty places, we can start here, offering 
our finances, our resources in faith and watching God provide enough. I invite you also to literally show up at the table at places like Fresh Express or our Monday dinners at the Pajama Factory or First Night. At these tables, significant things happen week in and week out and month in and month out. Every month right now, we give over 5,000 pounds of food away at our Fresh Express opportunity. Every week, we give over 200 meals away. That's over 10,000 a year. That means every three, four, five years, we are feeding the entire city of Williamsport, and somehow there's always enough. Again, our tendency is to hoard and to hold on and to live with a scarcity mindset. Think back no farther than the great toilet paper hoarding that happened at the start of COVID. One of the ways we best break this fear is to share what we have at God's table and to trust that God will then provide enough. Will you join in that miracle, church? Will you come to the table and live and experience at the table the goodness and the abundance of God? Do not believe the lie. Do not live in fear that you do not have enough. That is a straight up lie. Because when God gives it to us, and you share it with others, there will always be enough. In fact, as the scripture shows today, there will be more than enough. There will be an abundance. I've always loved this prayer from St. Teresa of Avila, who said this so beautifully many centuries ago. She prayed, Christ has no body on earth but yours, no hands but yours, no feet but yours. Yours are the eyes through which is to look out Christ's compassion to the world. Yours are the feet with which he is to go about doing good. Yours are the hands with which he is to bless now. No doubt at this point, many of you have heard of the frigid temperatures and power outages that hit Texas a few weeks ago. It was bad. People were scrambling for their lives and their well-being. I was struck by the power and the miracle that can happen at the table when I came across this story. There's a Houston furniture owner named Jim Mattress Mack, they call him. Uh, Jim Mackingvale is actually his name. He's known for his showmanship, even airing television commercials in which he's actually wearing a mattress to draw attention to his stores. But Mackingvale is becoming more and more famous for something else. He's been turning his expensive showrooms into life-saving shelters. He opened his gallery furniture stores in Houston to people who fled Hurricane Katrina in 2005, Hurricane Harvey in 2017, and Tropical Storm Imelda in 2019. Now he's doing the same for those who have been hit hard by the deadly winter storm that's left more than 3 million Texans without power or running water in record-setting freezing temperatures and in dire conditions. Anybody is welcome to come use the beds and sofas in his showrooms, to take in a movie or watch a basketball game on his big screen televisions, to sit down and have a hot meal, said Mackingvale, age 70. He said, obviously there's a lot of angst in our community going on right now. They are shell-shocked. They've been home for days in the cold with no electricity, no heat, no water, no plumbing. In the first few days, of him making this offer, about, about 350 people showed up the first couple of nights to move into one of his three stores. And during the day, about 800 people had been showing up to get coffee or snacks or just sit in a warm space. 
He even brought in portable toilets and rigged a special flush system in the restrooms with extra water. Mackinvales even paid for food vendors to come and bring tacos and enchiladas and hamburgers and hot dogs and breakfast burritos. Why is he doing this? He said, to whom much has been given, much is expected. He said he knew that he would need to offer help once again after he witnessed a particularly disturbing scene while driving the church on Valentine's Day. He said he saw a cop putting a sheet over a homeless guy who had frozen to death. He said that really got him, and he decided then that if things got really bad, he'd be willing to open his stores for whoever needed it. And that's exactly what happened. He said, we have lots of beds and sofas and recliners. Come on in and make yourself at home. One woman in particular shared about her and her daughter and her mother showing up to one of his stores after the pipes burst in their home, driving about 20 minutes to get to the furniture store. She said it was 17 degrees. She said, we could see our breath. I'd lost the feeling in my toes. My mom's nose was bleeding. And when my neighbor told me about this place, at this table, at this store, we knew we had to get there. She said she nearly burst into tears when Mackingdale warmly greeted them and helped them get settled for the night. She said it was like an answer to our prayers. There's such a wonderful feeling here. It's been like going to my grandparents' home. For Mattress Mac, he desired to share out of a sense of generosity, not obligation. He offered what he had and it was more than enough. Today, Jesus invites us, his disciples, into the miracle making. They got to participate. They got to get into the action with Jesus. Can you imagine what a thrill it must have been for them to walk around the hungry crowds, offering food to the kids and watching their faces light up at the food that they were being given for their hungry stomachs? Well, guess what? The thrill isn't just limited to Jesus and his disciples then. It's also available for you and I, his disciples, now. Jesus' followers do not just get to watch Jesus do great things. They get to join with Jesus in doing great things. What an amazing thrill. Just ask anyone who helps at first night or Monday night pajama factory dinners, and they'll tell you there is tremendous joy at the table. And somehow there's always enough. Today, Jesus invites you and me to join with him in the sharing of the miracles. Today, Jesus says to you and to me, you give them something to eat. May we do so, church. Amen.